thank you so much for joining us uh, for, for Easter. I'm really thrilled uh, to have you this morning. And uh, it's just terrific uh, for us to get together and experience the power of the resurrected Christ. And, uh, you know, in some way, shape or form, uh, to connect with God, you know, to say, okay, if God really is alive, uh, which He is, uh, how do we experience that? And uh, today I want to uh, really just talk about the gospel story, the Easter story, and, uh, and walk you through uh, this sort of timeless message. But there's some part of the story that uh, we need to have uh, an experience of Christ for that gets us through the short-term ups and downs of life, and gets us through the long-term ups and downs of life. Uh, it's, it's totally normal for us to always want something to look forward to, be it short-term and be it long-term. So, you know, you, you might be just, you know, if you're a teenager, you say, man, I, I'm looking forward to summer. I, I just can't wait uh, for the school year to end. Or maybe it's a longer-term thing. I look forward to graduating, high school, college, or, or whatever that, that might be. Uh, it's totally normal for people to look forward to vacation. I mean, there's something that, that picks us up, and we say, okay, this is something. It's something good to look forward to because it gets us through the, the harder times, the more difficult times, the more mundane times of life. But on the other hand, it's not just like eating chocolate. You know, it's not like, okay, I just need a rush for now, and that makes me feel good. We need something that, like, sustains us for the longer time period, the longer term, uh, the bigger issues in life that, you know, vacation can't solve, uh, those things that give us, like, enduring hope. And in Christ, uh, we get this, where Christ is saying, I'll be with you now, short term, today, tomorrow. I'll be with you to get you through the day-to-day -day things. But it's more than that. Christ is saying, I'll give you life, and I'll give it to you in, you know, eternity with, with Him. There's a sense that, uh, as we celebrate Easter together, that we are celebrating the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And therefore, all these promises and all the things that Jesus said, we start believing and trust in and we you sort of bank on. And for us personally, that is, we too will rise from the dead and be with Jesus if we believe in Him. So uh, it's, a, it's a tremendous uh, season that we're in uh, when we celebrate Easter together. But let me read you this uh, passage that even Jesus uh, had this mindset of, okay, I can get through hardships uh, because there's a long-term goal. So in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in the Bible, it says this in 12.2, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. I mean, that's just like a powerful statement. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross. You know, it, there's, there's something that uh, we need to understand with even Christ and the cross. It wasn't like the cross was the end in itself. There was a joy that was pulling Christ, that was compelling Christ. I can endure anything, including the cross, because there's a joy that I'm looking forward to. And so uh, as I open the service today, I just want to say to you, I have an agenda for you. It's not a bait-and-switch agenda, I, 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 but I do have an agenda. The agenda is this, that you would experience in some real way this joy 
that Christ gives us, that He is alive and that He can get us through the ups and the downs of life in a way that nobody else can. And then I have another uh, agenda. It's for you to come back next week. It's pretty simple. All right, let me just pray. Uh, short prayer. Uh, Jesus, I just pray that uh, you would send your, your, your Spirit here, Holy Spirit. I just welcome your presence here. I just pray, Holy Spirit, you'd put heat, you'd put power uh, on, on this message today that I can preach it and we'd have hearts that can receive it. So we just give you this service. We give you this day in your name, Jesus. Amen. There's so many different ways of uh, approaching the Easter story, but uh, one of the ways I want to do it is the phrase that Jesus used again and again, which was the third day. Uh, again and again, he would talk about uh, the third day. And uh, this phrase uh, uh, stuck with people. You know, he didn't use Easter. I mean, that, that phrase came like much later. So the third day. Uh, the third day was the day that Jesus says, I will rise again on the third day. And the crowds got it. Uh, the religious people got it. His disciples didn't get it or sort of got it. Uh, but the third day, Jesus kept, kept mentioning this. Uh, so there's a sense that something was going to happen in Jesus' time in the near future uh, that's going to be great to look forward to. But as we celebrate Easter now, 2,000 years later, think of this for a moment. I don't know what corporations many of you work for, but if you work for a company that's been around for like 50 years, you would say, wow, this is just like an incredible corporation. I mean, this is just like, a, you know... I don't know. It's a, it's a major institution. If you're working for a company that's been around for 100 years, I mean, that's a rarity. There's, there's very, very few corporations that have lasted 100 years in America. Uh, and if they do, it's normally, you know, it's a great tribute to management and to the market and whatever. But, you know, it's not just uh, companies that don't have longevity. It's countries. Uh, you know, America's been around for a few hundred years, but the question that we have is, will it be around for a few hundred more? And of course, we sit and think, of course it will be. I mean, like, how could anything ever change? If you pull up a world map, uh, you'll notice that countries have changed. Like in the last 10 years, there's a whole bunch of new countries and rearranging boundaries and borders, and things change. Uh, they don't last forever. And uh, even more so, what about empires? You know, we had like the British Empire. Now it's just like a little skinny little island, you know, off Europe somewhere. And then they got Bermuda or something. That's great. But uh, besides uh, the British Empire, which is, you know, pretty diminished, remember the Spanish-like empire? I mean, they were like all over South America and around Jane America. I mean, they're like a big deal. You know, like now we think Spain. I mean, well, yeah, really? Okay, nice country, but... Empire? No. What about the Roman Empire? You know, when Jesus was born, when the, the Romans were like dominating. You know, Rome was called the eternal city. I mean, it was like, this is going to last forever. It's like we're the dominant Gone. And here we are, 2,000 years later. Jesus is alive. The church is thriving. And the church is growing throughout the world. I mean, this is an organization or an institution or whatever you want to call it uh, that is still going. It's endured all these different transitions in time. Not as in it's still going. It's still very healthy, and it's getting bigger. 
I mean, it's really, you know, just that alone it makes you think, wow, maybe, you know, Christ is into this. You know, maybe this really is like his idea. Like, I mean, you know, all our man's ideas of empires and countries and whatever, they just seem to putz out. But Christ's idea seems to endure. That, that, that could be, a, you know, a legitimate line to go for, for Easter. Talk about that. But I want to, like, do a whole different switch here. Just think about a whole other line. A whole different way of looking at Easter and the Easter story. Uh, don't put up your hands. But how many of you have brothers? Don't, don't put up your hands. Just like in your mind, I've got a brother. What would it take for you to believe that your brother is God? I mean, your brother might believe he's God, but what would it take for you to believe that your brother is God? He'd probably have to die and be resurrected. Let me just like, and even then you'd probably be like, oh, I'm not so sure. That's exactly what happened with Jesus' brother, James. You know, when James, you know, like nothing's much said about Jesus' brothers. He's got a bunch of brothers. One of them's James. Then he, there's like a little small little insert in the New Testament about James. And James, the only thing he's got to say is like Jesus is in the prime of his ministry. He's healing people. He's preaching. And he's doing all this stuff. And James says to Jesus, listen, you better get out of Galilee, you, you know, you loud mouth. I'm going to quite say it this way. I'm paraphrasing. You loud mouth, get out of here. If you want to be rich and famous, you're not going to happen in Galilee. You're going to get out of Jerusalem. I mean, Stop bragging about all your miracles and what. Get out of town. I mean, if you want to be big and famous, get out. I mean, that, that's essentially what James was saying. You can read it. You can up in your own Bible. It's not quite that way, but essentially there was a tone of what he was saying. I don't believe you. You're doing a lot of good things, but it ain't going to happen in Galilee. If you want to be a big shot, get to Jerusalem. That, that's the idea. What will it take to believe, you know, that Jesus is the Son of God, and then he rose from the dead, and it impacts our lives. Well, for James, uh, he hung out with Jesus all his life, and he just didn't believe until Jesus was risen from the dead. Then he believed. So as part of the build-up to this great Easter story, and, uh, you know, it's sort of one of those, this is one of those stories where you can tell it again and again and again, and it's like if you've got kids and they you know, got a new book, and they say, no, I don't want to read the new book. I just want to read, tell me the same story again. And you're like, you say, really? How many times can I read it? So I'm so bored of reading it. You never get bored of the Easter story because there's always another angle or another insight or another side to the story that you just, like, haven't uncovered or you haven't experienced. So it becomes meaningful and significant again and again and again. But the build-up for the Easter story is, is really interesting to me. Uh, Jesus is doing all sorts of things. He's now 33 years old, or between 30 and 33 when he, he starts his public ministry. But now he's 33. He's just about to be crucified. He's about to die. And it's all coming to a head. And he's been preaching like uh, he really knows the book. But it's more than he like he's memorized the book. It's like he's the author of the book. Like he's saying things and doing things that people are saying, who are you? I mean, you're like, you seem to just have so much authority when you talk and and you seem to have like insights that, you know, you can outdo all the smartest religious guys. And every time they try and trap you, you've got like a, a counter argument, which just seems to be so much better and so much more profound. It's like you, you own this. It's like you're the author. And not only that, uh, Jesus is doing like sort of miracles everywhere. Everybody recognizes that he's doing miracles. But I mean, then he like raises Lazarus from the dead. I mean, it's one thing fixing somebody with skin disease, you know, or healing somebody that's bleeding or something, but raising somebody from the dead. Now, Lazarus was dead. He was like dead, dead. 
I mean, he was like dead. He was dead for four days dead. He was dead. <laughs> now, when, when he raises him and he starts running around town, everybody realized that's the Lazarus that was dead. He wasn't sick. He didn't have flu. He wasn't just lying down. He was dead. And now all of a sudden, hey, Jesus, Le- Lazarus. I mean, Lazarus is all over the place. I mean, you know, people recognize. People are like, Jesus, you like something like up about you. You, you like know the book. You are the book. You like raising the dead. I mean, I mean, you know, things are happening. It's building up. However, as much as everybody seems to be getting it, the disciples don't seem to be getting it. And Jesus sits down with them just before he's going to go into Jerusalem. And it's really going to be a holy week and it's going to be difficult. And he, reads, he says this to them. We read the story in Matthew 16. It says, From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly. Plainly. Like no parables, you know, no religious speak. Plainly. This is that it was necessary, necessary for Jesus to go to Jerusalem not any old town, Jerusalem, that he would suffer, necessary, it was necessary that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, the teachers of religious law. He would be killed on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. And on the third day, he'd be raised from the dead. And on the third day, he'd be raised from the dead. All these bad things need to happen. On the third day, Jesus says, I'll be raised from the dead. Now, that's real plain. And the disciples just don't get it. On the one hand, they kind of do get it. But on the one hand, they t- totally don't get it. Because, you know, just before this, Jesus says to Peter, Peter, who do people say I am? No, more importantly, Peter, who do you say I am? And Jesus, uh, and Peter responds and says, you're the Messiah. Uh, meaning, you're the anointed one. You're the one that all this Old Testament stuff, is talking about is going to come and save us. It's you. And, you know, Jesus responds to me. He says, wow, Peter, this is an insight that you weren't really smart enough to figure out on your own. I mean, God gave you that. And he, he praises Peter for it. And then Jesus tells him, I've got to have to die. And then straight after Jesus says, I have to go die, Peter says, no, 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 that's a bad plan. Let's come up with another plan, bad plan. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. Woo. I mean, He's just praised Peter, and now he's like, get behind me, Satan. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like Jesus saying, guys, listen, I have a plan. I have this whole thing under control. It's going to be ugly for a while, but I'm going to rise again on the third day. Just like hang on to the on the third day. It's going to be all good. Hang on to it on the third day. So uh, we see what's happening. It's a, it's a great buildup. But then there's also this unbelievable uh, uh, confluence of uh, people all coming together to want Jesus dead. I mean, it's, it's one of these things where for everybody's self-interest, uh, they have a common connecting point, like, okay, we want to kill Jesus. I mean, it, it's so, like, foreign. It would be like us thinking about the Republicans and the Democrats, like, agreeing on stuff. You know, agreeing on, like, whatever it might be. Uh, or the Supreme, you know, the new judiciary on the Supreme Court. Okay, we agree on this candidate. And we agree on taxes. And we agree on immigration. And we agree on the deficit. Like, they all just agree on everything. It would be like, I don't even recognize this crowd. And they all agree, but for totally different reasons. For their own self-interest. It would be like, what? That's what's happening in Jerusalem. I mean, there's, a, there's this 
this is tension which is rising. Uh, the disciples uh, don't agree that Jesus uh, should, be, uh, should be killed, but there's a tension between them. And they disagree on, like, what should happen. Uh, you know, Judas, he's sort of, like, on the winning team because he's got Jesus, he's on Jesus' team, and uh, hopefully it's going to go great on Jesus' team. And then he realizes, oh, Jesus' team is not doing too well. Jesus is not doing what I think the Messiah should do. And, you know, Jesus said, I'm going to make some bucks on the side. I'll, I'll go get, you know, sell him out and I'll, I'll, I'll trade him in for something else. And so he does. And that ends up being like a bad move, a real bad move. But there's friction within the disciples. Uh, they don't agree on, on, on Jesus. In fact, they're arguing who's the greatest and who should have the highest seat of honor. And, you know, Jesus like, come on, guys, I'm about to die. Will you just like hang in there with me? Can you pray with me when I'm in difficulties? I'm going to go to Golgotha. Can you pray with me there? Can you like, you know, when I get put on the cross, can you be there for me? I mean, can you comfort me? Can you, I want to be the greatest. I, you know, it's like, no, there's infighting within the disciples. Not going good. But outside of the Jewish rulers, it's a whole other problem. I mean, picture this. The temple in Jerusalem is massive. It's like 34 acres. Can you imagine uh, a building, downtown Boston? I mean, it would just dwarf any of our towns. So think of a downtown Boston. What could be like 34 acres downtown Boston? It would be like, this would be the city. I mean, it would be like this. The temple would just like dominate. And this temple dominated Jerusalem. It's set up on the hill, and it was an institution. I mean, there were a lot of people, a lot of priests working in this thing. And uh, there's tension building here because the, the ruler, the big shot, the, like the main guy is Caiaphas. He's like the leading priest. And he's into something good. I mean, not only is he the leading priest, he's like in charge of the money. I mean, this is a money-making machine, this, the, the, the temple at this point. Uh, and he is in charge of all the power. I mean, he's like the head of all the power. He's like, you know, what we, we are president. I mean, he's the... He's the main like power broker for Jerusalem. And he's got a very big vested interest, which is not going down too well for him because this Jesus guy is starting to get a lot of crowds. They're starting to follow him and they're starting to like his message. And every time, you know, his religious underdogs try to catch Jesus, they get pinned in a corner and they're made to be like an idiot. And so Caiaphas has a problem. He's like, I'm losing the people which means I'm losing my power. And if I lose the people, I'm going to lose my money. And if I lose my money, I'm going to lose my dynasty. You know, the only people who could be leading the chief priests were like family members. And, it was a, it, and Jesus is saying, hey, wait a bit. You guys have messed this whole temple up. It's supposed to be a house of prayer, not a den of thieves. They're like, what are you guys up to? What are you doing? You, you've, you've polluted this whole thing. You've messed it all up. That didn't go down too well with the power brokers, with the rulers. So not only are they worried about losing power, losing money, they're also, they're also worried about losing their nation. And this is where, you know, outside of Caiaphas and his uh, cohorts, like for the lower underlings, it's like, hey, guys, get on our ship because we need to get rid of this Jesus guy because we could lose our nation. Because if there's an uproar and there's a riot and the, and the Romans like get sick of us, they'll just be done with us. So, like, join my team and let's get rid of Jesus. Let's have one guy die, you know, and, 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 and get this place back the way it was. Meantime, the, religion, the uh, power brokers, the, the Romans, they've got their own reasons to uh, get rid of Jesus. 
the, the guy that's in charge of Galilee, Herod, he's like half Jewish and therefore, you know, half traitor from the Jewish standpoint. Uh, Jesus has some things to say about him that aren't like so kind. They're not like the nicest statement should make. Like this one. I'll just read it to you uh, in Luke. It says this in Luke uh, 13, 31. Firstly, it, you talk about the rising tension and the turmoil. It says, at that, time, at that time, some Pharisees said to Jesus, Get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. Okay, you, you, you're feeling the tension. Uh, the Pharisees saying, Jesus, get out. Now, make a break. This guy's going to kill you. Jesus responds. He says, go tell that fox that I will keep on. I mean, just, oh, that fox. He's not even worried. He's like, who? You know, ruler who? No special titles, no big name. Go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow. And the third day, I will accomplish my purpose. What? A little cryptic language there. Just says, tell that fox that I'm going to keep on healing people today, tomorrow. But on the third day, I'm going to accomplish my purpose. And then he carries on. He says, yes, today, tomorrow, and the next day, I must proceed on my way. For it won't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. I mean, what a statement to be saying to Herod. He's saying, I'm going to be killed. It's going to be in Jerusalem. You are a fox, and I'm going to rise again on the third day. It'll all happen on the third day. I mean, Herod, hearing this, must think, who is this guy? He doesn't seem to be fearful of me at all. And then when Jesus is on trial in, in front of Pilate, who Pilate's the guy that's a Roman that's in charge of Jerusalem, finally he's on trial in front of Pilate, and uh, he says to Jesus, Jesus, listen, uh, you're about to be crucified. These guys are making charges against you. Don't you realize that I have the ability to either kill you, to crucify you, or to set you free? And Jesus responds and says, oh, no, no. You don't have any such power over me unless it had already been given to you from above. And Pilate's probably thinking, wait a bit. He's not, Jesus is not intimidated. He's not shaking in his sandals. I mean, he's just like, yeah. So Pilate's like, who is this guy? Uh, there's something mysterious. There's something building. There's something uh, that's happening here uh, that, that it really is uh, Mysterious. And then we have the crucifixion. The crucifixion really is a, a really interesting story when you, when you look at it from how totally humiliating it was for Jesus. I mean, firstly, the people that you don't see at the crucifixion are the disciples. The very people that should be there, like at the cross, supporting him, defending him, saying he's a good guy, you know, look at badly treated. The disciples, they're just gone. I mean, they just like intimidated, they're scared, they're bewildered, they're confused, they totally forgot about the third day. they just like absent. Jesus just left there with his best friends deserting him. And it's not only him that's, it's not his best friends that are deserted him, the people have deserted him. It tells us in Matthew 27, 39, it says, The people, the people passing by shouted abuse, shaking their heads in mockery. Look at you now, they yelled at him. You, have, you said you were going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. 
They remember that phrase. The people remember that. Jesus said something about, I'm going to destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. And Jesus, of course, was speaking cryptically again because he's talking, looking at the physical temple and talking about his body being the temple that I'm going to rebuild because the, there's going to be a whole new covenant, a new shift. It's not all going to be about the temple. It's all going to be about Jesus after this moment forward. So I will build this temple being a different temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, God's temple, being Jesus in three days. So they remember that, but the people are mocking him and saying, ah, you said you're going to build a temple. Look at you, you're a loser. You're sitting on the cross. What can you do now? You had all these big plans of grand building projects, and what are you going to do now? And it's not only that. The leading priests, verse 41, the leading priests, the teachers of the religious law, and the elders also mocked Jesus. They just mocked him. He saved others. They scoffed. But he can't save himself. So he is the king of Israel, is he? Let him come down from the cross right now, and we will believe in him. And that's, that's just like a total lie. They would not believe in him. If Jesus had got off the cross, they still wouldn't have believed in him. I mean, they could have looked at Lazarus. They could have looked at the miracles. They could have looked at what he said. They didn't believe him then. They weren't going to believe him even if he jumped off the cross. They just, I mean, some people won't believe no matter what they see. They wouldn't have believed him. And then, if, if that wasn't like low enough, uh, verse 44, even the revolutionaries who were crucified with him ridiculed him in the same way. Uh, I mean, then you've got the Roman guards. They're sitting gambling for his clothes right below his feet. I mean, I mean it was just humiliating. In every which way, the cross was absolutely uh, humiliating. But on the other hand, Jesus was accomplishing something on the cross. Now next week, uh, and I do want you to come back next week. Uh, next week, I want to talk about this connection. The connection between how Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Passover and what happened at Passover, what it all means, and why Jesus was the Passover sacrificial lamb, and what that all means. Uh, and then we're going to do a special communion or, you know, Eucharist if you're from another uh, denomination, where we... Uh, understand more fully exactly what it is that Jesus did and is doing, uh, and we'll do communion uh, along with, uh, uh, as I said, I'm talking about the next steps, our vision, your part in our vision. We'll look at all that next week, but we can't do it all today. Uh, but anyway, uh, then we get to the burial of Jesus, and now this just really just becomes really odd. Uh, the burial of Jesus is odd because of the circumstances. Uh, Jesus gets crucified on, on a Friday. He dies really, really quickly. The Jewish people uh, celebrate at sundown on Friday night, the beginning of the Sabbath. And what they don't want to do is have Jesus being on the cross. So uh, a rich guy uh, goes to Pilate and he says, hey, listen, uh, do you mind? And this guy's sticking his neck out. He's like, do you mind if I like, take Jesus off the cross and, and bury him? Uh, and Pilate uh, amazingly says, yeah, sure, no problem. I need, uh, what's to do Pilate? If you leave him on the cross or bury him, couldn't care less. Uh, so he does. Joseph of Arimathea goes, he's a wealthy guy, he's got a tomb, a uh, brand new tomb, and he, he takes Jesus off the cross, and then Nicodemus, and the, here's the funny thing. Joseph of Arimathea, the guy that pays for Jesus' uh, his, his tomb, is a secret follower. 
The only time he like comes onto the pages of Scripture is right now. You don't hear about him before. He's like too scared of all the, all the, the, the religious leaders. And Nicodemus is the other guy that shows up to help him with the burial, put him in a, a sheet and, and bury him with, uh, you know, uh, herbs and, and stuff to keep the body uh, preserved. Uh, Nicodemus, he was the guy that showed up to Jesus late at night because he didn't want to uh, be seen by the religious leaders because he was a religious leader. And Jesus said, hey, you need to be born again. And they have that dialogue early in the Gospel of John. You can read about all that. But anyway, Nicodemus now shows up for the burial. Now, they bury Jesus, and this creates a huge problem. You see, here's the normal deal with crucifixion. Crucifixion is you die on the cross, and they just leave you there, and the birds would start eating away at you, and it was really gross. And then when you were like half decomposed, uh, somebody would come, and they'd take all the pieces of, of the body that's left on the cross, put them all in a, a bucket, and basically take him to the town scrap heap and just throw them into the scrap heap. I mean, it was just like, because this was for criminals. There was nothing honorable about it. There was no honorable death, burial, service. You just took all the bones and you just threw them in the town dump. And then the birds would eat them, the wild animals and dogs would just eat all the flesh, and it was just gross. But now these guys have taken the body, and they've put him in a tomb. And now it's Saturday, it's like the Sabbath, and all these religious leaders are sitting around doing their Sabbath thing and, and doing their holy day, and all of a sudden it dawns them, third day, third day, third day. Hey, we've got a problem. Somebody's taken that body down off the cross. We don't know where it is. If he had left it on the cross, we could like keep an eye on him and make sure he doesn't get up to any like magic business and, and like resurrect himself. We, we can see him. We, now he's disappeared. Oh, so they run over to Pilate. Pilate, 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 we've got a big problem. We need your help. We need your help. Pilate, what's the problem? Man, you remember that lunatic? He said he's going to rise on the third day. We've we got to make sure. We don't want any false scams. We don't want any like weird thing. Give us some soldiers. Like seal that tomb. Let's, and, and, and so Pilate, like, whatever you want. Just like take some soldiers, seal the tomb. I mean, can you imagine the soldiers? Okay, we're guarding a dead guy here that Hopefully he doesn't resurrect. I mean, it's you know, a tough job. I mean, big dilemma for the religious guys. Big dilemma for the religious guys. Anyway, uh, as we know, uh, Resurrection Sunday comes along. And I mean, it's just like totally unexpected. Even though Jesus has spoken about the third day, I mean, the whole day unfolds in a totally uh, unbelievable, unexpected, nobody saw it coming kind of a thing, even though Jesus was warning everybody it's coming. Nobody saw it coming. Nobody could comprehended coming. And, uh, you know, the, Jesus is resurrected on Sunday morning early. And uh, if you read the different accounts in the gospel, you see those big, burly, tough Roman gods, they just pass out. I mean, just like, can't, can't believe it. You know, and then Jesus shows himself. Who does he show himself to? Women. I mean, this is like the most, you know, the gospel stories, it's just like such an incredibly great story because it's so upside down. It's so like not the way anybody would ever imagine to write a story. Uh, you know, in those days, women weren't allowed to testify in court. They, they, like, if you were a woman, you were like nothing. You were like dirt. I mean, you just didn't count. I mean, it was, I'm sorry to say, but that's the way it was. And what does Jesus do? He shows up to women first to be the testimony. You're going to be my witness. You're going to tell everybody that I rose from the dead. I mean, like, they can't even show up in court and give evidence. And Jesus, trusting women, such an upside-down story, unless it's a God story. You know, it's just an incredible story. And then Jesus shows up later on to, like, you know, two disciples. are walking the road to Emmaus. He's walking along. They go, like, all downcast. Those are terrible. All these awful things happen in Jerusalem. Jesus, hey, what awful things happen? Oh, tell us about him. You know, he's, like, going along with them. He's, like, and, you know, they don't even realize it's Jesus until 
Passover till they do communion. And when they break bread, all of a sudden, hey, it's you, Jesus. Yeah. And then Jesus shows up to his other disciples. Uh, I mean, it's just the gospel story, the, the whole story of, of Easter is just a phenomenal, phenomenal story that, you know, you can read it again and again. And, and part of the reason it's so exciting reading it again and again is because another aspect, another facet. But honestly, the most exciting reason when you read the gospel story again and again is that the Holy Spirit does something to us. He, he, he resonates with what you're reading, and He resonates with you and, you and me and where our lives are at, and He inspires us. Uh, it's, it's a Spirit of God thing. It makes the, the Bible so, an inspired book. So uh, at the end of the day, uh, the Apostle Paul, who at this point, uh, fast forward a couple of weeks here after the crucifixion, uh, it's like, okay, we got rid of that, that loser Jesus. We finally killed him. Uh, now a whole bunch of people are saying that he's resurrected. That's a crazy story. And so at this point, the Apostle Paul, who at that point was Saul, he said, oh, easy solution. Let's just wipe out all these things they're calling churches. Let's get rid of the church. And uh, then we get rid of this myth, and we'll be done with this. And Paul is like a well-educated scholar. And he's going about killing everybody that's in the church until he has an encounter with Jesus. And then he writes this in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, he kind of summarizes this whole deal. And he summarizes what we call the good news. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. You welcomed it then, and you still stand firm in it. This is the good news that saves you if you continue to believe the message I told you. Unless, of course, you believed something that was never true in the first place. It says on verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what has been passed on to me. Now, he's summarizing the good news. This is the gospel. Christ died for our sins, just as Scripture says. He was buried. He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as Scripture says. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. And then he was seen by James. That's his brother. You know, and James was so inspired, he even wrote a book about it. I mean, you'll find it. It's, in the, it's called James in the Bible. Uh, you know, he, James, like, was transformed. Paul was transformed. He changed his name. Saul to Paul. The disciples were transformed. We are sitting here today, 2,000 years later, because Christ is still alive and is still moving forward and the church is still advancing. I mean, this is just the Easter story. It's just one of the most wonderful uh, stories you could ever hear about and experience. And so I want to just sort of bring this all down or shake it down if you would. So what? What about now? You might find yourself in a different category, and, and I'm just going to propose that you have a short prayer, if, if this is where you find yourself. And uh, the prayer that I'm recommending is so short that you can just pray it under your breath as I'm just jabbering on to the next point. But you might find yourself in this category. You might find yourself in the category of just being curious. You say, you know, Rob, I, I liked what you had to say. Uh, I want to just want to know more. Uh, and here's your prayer. Jesus, just reveal yourself to me. Show me more. I mean, that's a short prayer, okay? You can, you can just pray that prayer. 
On the other hand, uh, you might say, I'm at, I've been absent from church. I do believe. Here's a short prayer. Jesus, I'm back. Pretty short. I'm back. On the other hand, you might say, Lord, I'm just really weary. Uh, you know, I, I just need you to help me to get me through this bump, uh, have something that I can look forward to. And you can pray this short prayer. Jesus, I'm really, really weary. I need you to carry me. Short prayer. You don't need a long prayer. On the other hand, you might say, you know, you're brand new to faith. This is a whole new deal to you. Uh, here's a short prayer. Just say, Jesus, I receive you and I believe in you. Real short, short prayer. Uh, on the other hand, you might be really at a good place in your faith. Here's a short prayer. Jesus, I just thank you for how awesome you are. Please continue to work in my life, and I just want to be able to serve you. Short prayer. Just, just, just pray short prayer. So whatever, uh, wherever you're at, whether it's a short-term hurdle that you're needing to overcome, you need something to look forward to. And I just want to close this uh, service out by just praying for all of you that in some way, shape, or form, Jesus will inspire you. So, Lord Jesus, I just thank you that uh, this is your idea, church, and this institution of yours has been going for 2,000 years, and it's still growing, and you're still alive, and you're still moving in people's hearts. And, Lord, it still pays for us to give up everything to follow you, and it's worth it. Uh, Lord, you, you told us there's a short-term joy, and there's a long-term joy, eternal life, being with you. Lord, and we just desire to be with you now and in eternity. Lord, we ask for more of your presence, more of your involvement in our lives. I just pray blessing on your people. Lord, that you would fill them with joy, joy. Lord, and that no trial and no obstacle uh, would pull them down. Lord, that you would fill them again today with joy to overcome. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's, uh, let's worship. Let's uh, close out by focusing on Jesus.